Please stand for a reading of God's word. Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams in his spirit and was troubled, and his sleep left him. And the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to the king to tell him his dreams. So he came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know them. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants your dreams, and we will show you the interpretation. So the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb for limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And they answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. So the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know uh, that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a difficult thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded all the wise men of Babylon to be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision in the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my Father, I give praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what, is, what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. This is God's word. 
am I? What's my purpose? What is God like? Who gets into heaven? Who defines morality? Where do we turn for answers to these foundational questions of life? A study by Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman found that 91% of Americans turn inward to find themselves. This suggests that most of us turn inward for the other foundational questions as well. This shouldn't surprise anyone who reads the opening chapters of Genesis. God placed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden. He told Adam and Eve that they could eat of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This tree was God's tree. He determines good and evil, right and wrong, what's moral and immoral. And we need to go to him to understand these. But the serpent tempted Eve, tempted her to usurp God's authority. We read in Genesis 3, 5, the serpent says, for God knows when you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, he's saying, you can determine good and evil for yourself, and in doing so, you will be like God. You will sit in his place. The first humans fell to this temptation and we've been doing what's right in our own eyes ever since. Today, we live in a culture in which all of life's questions are answered by turning to ourselves rather than to God. If you're not yet a Christian, I hope that you will see how critical it is that you build your life on objective truth that you'll understand that when you turn inward instead of upward for answers, you are building your life on shifting sand. If you are a Christian, I hope that this morning's message will strengthen your resolve to build your life on the rock of God's word. Because we're not doing that necessarily. The Lyons and Kinnaman study found that 76% of Christians affirm the statement to find yourself, look inside yourself, suggesting that even a majority of Christians look inside themselves for the big questions of life. Where do you look? Let's pray. Our Father, today we talk about truth. And we pray, God, that this truth wouldn't simply reside in our minds, but you would sink it through your spirit deep into our hearts, that we would live in union with you. In Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. So what we're going to see in this story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that he sought objective truth about it. His advisors wanted to give him their subjective opinion and say that that's all he needs. Daniel is given objective truth from God 
the truth that was needed. So this morning, we're going to look at the search for truth, self-defined truth, and then God-defined truth. We begin with the search for truth. As Travis showed us last week, God disciplined his chosen people by allowing the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to conquer Judah and to take waves of captives to Babylon. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among these captives. And they were selected to join the magicians and enchanters as the king's advisors after they'd been indoctrinated and taught. And so they did. One night, the king had a disturbing dream. He called the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans to interpret his dream. To Nebuchadnezzar's credit, he sought the truth. He was determined to have the truth. He wanted the true meaning of his dream, and he would not settle for subjective interpretation. We read verses 4 through 6. Then the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. Your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and the interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. You know, whereas most kings would simply ask their court of prophets to interpret a dream, Nebuchadnezzar asked them to tell him the content of the dream to ensure that their interpretation was grounded in truth. The correct interpretation was so critical to him that he threatened the lives of his advisors if they did not comply. While others may take truth lightly, he did not. The interpretation of the dream could well determine his sense of self, his understanding of his future, and determine the direction of his leadership. It could set the course for the future of his nation, which would touch surrounding nations as well. The king was determined that the interpretations would be based on truth and not on any advisor's personal opinion. See, he knew the nature of uh, humans is self-protective, self-promoting, that it's common for the dream interpreters to fabricate interpretations that would make the king feel good about himself and his future, and then the king would reward him. In almost every case, their predictions would be so general or so far off in the future that their ruse would never be discovered. Nebuchadnezzar was well aware of the tricks of their trade. We read in verse 9, If you do not make the dream known to me, there's but one sentence for you. See, you've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words to me until times change. Not buying into it. Tell me the dream, and then I'll know you can give me the right interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar stood his ground. 
if they were in touch enough with the supernatural to give the meaning of the dream, they should have been in touch enough with the supernatural to get the content of the dream. Now, Nebuchadnezzar's threat is shocking. You shall be torn limb from limb. Your houses shall be laid in ruins. It sounds overly harsh. It is harsh because of the potentially devastating cost of being wrong. Decisions he would make based on the interpretation could negatively impact every life across his kingdom and echo for generations because truth matters. Consider Joseph in Egypt. When he goes to God, gets the interpretation of the dream, the correct interpretation, the result is when the famine comes, the Egyptians are saved, Joseph's family is saved, the world is saved. A wrong interpretation would have cost everyone their lives. Today, we have big, important questions. The ones I said at the beginning of the sermon that the answers to will chart the course of people's lives and their eternity. Many of us appeal to, this is what I think is the basis for beliefs. We form our views based on what we want to believe or on the voices around us who have shaky foundations themselves. And we accept their opinions without proof. We don't have the same critical understanding of human nature that Nebuchadnezzar had. So we tend to allow these voices to influence our understanding and our life choices. We need to be as passionate as the king about gaining the truth and just as wary of foundationless opinions. Because wrong answers to the fundamental questions of life can be devastating to everyone who believes them now and into eternity. Now that said, there are many movements in America that reflect divine values that are good in the core value. Social justice, concern for the environment, women's rights, provision for the needy, care for the elderly, anti-bullying, anti-violence, anti-sex trafficking. Each of these really reflects God's love for those who are made in his image. As a result, really great work is being done in these areas. But unfortunately, because many of these movements don't acknowledge that God is the foundation, even though their foundation values are those spoken of God, by not acknowledging God, they don't turn to him to see how these values should be lived out. 
And this has led to the promotion of harmful advice. The battle over abortion is one example. Women's equality and rights are precious to God. However, because the secular movement doesn't acknowledge God, these are not balanced by other values of God, such as the value that God places on life in the womb. And so it goes in the wrong direction. The conflict over identity today is another example. Like God, each side values the life of every person and wants each person to thrive. But because the current cultural values don't acknowledge the God of Scripture, people turn inward to discover their identity. And they end up with an identity that's built on shifting sand. It can change from day to day. Instead of seeing themselves as God sees them, made in his image, wonderfully and fearfully made by God, completely beloved by God. People are missing out on that identity because they turn inward rather than upward. Nebuchadnezzar searched for objective truth. The magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and Chaldeans they wanted to offer him their personal truth, their personal interpretation of the king's dream, their own self-defined truth. They felt their personal truth should be enough, so they objected to the king's mandate, and then they called it unreasonable and unfair. Notice verses 10 and 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked any such thing of any magician or enchanter or cultian. The thing the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods and whose dwelling is not in the flesh. The advisors were exposed. They were asked for proof that their interpretation would be accurate. They had none. Their defense was to say, it's impossible to give the content of the dream. No person has the objective truth. Only a God would have that, and of course, there isn't a God living among us. See, remarkably, their answer, no one can show it to a king except the God's points to the need for divine understanding of truth. The problem was they didn't believe God had revealed any truth. They were so close to being right, and yet so far. They acknowledged divinity has truth, but they still wanted to define it for themselves because they weren't connected to God. The Chaldeans were willing to present self-defined, fantastical interpretations of the king's dream, which would have had a tremendous impact on the king's decisions. We need to consider if that's the case today in our nation. When politicians, universities, media, Hollywood, and online prognosticators speak as though they have the ultimate truth, even when there's no foundation but themselves, 
or what other people think. The result is our culture is driven by every wave and wind of social and theological doctrine. What was once unacceptable is now championed. What was once acceptable is now marginalized. Each generation has the hubris to believe they're more enlightened than the previous generation. That's going to be true of the next generation. They're going to look at us and believe our enlightened positions are antiquated. And the following generation is going to say the same about that generation because it's built on their opinions. Everything is built on a foundation of shifting sand unless it's built on God's truth, which is eternal. The king was right to demand proof. Too much was at stake. He became enraged at those who feigned to know, have knowledge without a foundation. We read verses 12 and 13. Because of this, the king was angry and furious. He commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out. The wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Because Daniel and his companions were members of the king's wise men, they were unfairly sentenced to death. Daniel hadn't been a part of the proceedings, so he sought to discover what was happening. When he found out, he immediately sought an audience with the king. But it wasn't to convince the king to rescind Daniel's punishment. We read in verse 16, Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the dream. Daniel boldly set up an audience with the king even before he knew the content of the dream. Daniel's confidence is in sharp contrast to the wise men's despair. They panicked over the king's decree because they had no resource but themselves. Daniel had no resources in himself to give the content of the dream. But Daniel was supremely confident because he had a God who was present, who had the truth, and who would reveal it. We aren't asking God to interpret any dreams for kings today. But we need him to give us a foundation of truth upon which we will build our lives. We don't need a special revelation from God because he's already spoken in his word. We should have the same confidence in God's revelation to us that Daniel had in God's revelation to him. Daniel's next, next step is described in verses 17 and 18. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel went to prayer. 
Daniel depended on prayer to connect with God, to reach God. Not only his own prayer, he immediately went to his three friends and said, get praying. And they did. You know, God knew the king's edict. He knew the reason for it. He could have given Daniel the content of the dream even without a prayer. But God wants us in prayer because it connects us intimately with him. When we bring a request to God and he answers it, it's like one of our children coming to us with a special need, a heartfelt need, and we embrace them and say, yes. It builds, it deepens the bond. That's one of the purposes of God. One of the purposes, reasons he has us make requests when he already knows them. It builds intimacy. Are we praying to God like Daniel and his friends? As we see in this passage, and we're going to see later in the book of Daniel, Daniel's life was immersed in prayer. And it resulted in his union with God. God answered their prayers, verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel's life was immersed in prayer and praise. Immediately upon God's answer, Daniel bursts into praise. Blessed be the name of the God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel had God's truth and an intimate relationship with God. The two have to come together. It isn't about simply doing the right things because we know what God wants. It's about being with God and coming into union with God through prayer and praise. The knowledge God gives us, the truth God gives us has to seep into our hearts for us to be truly build our lives on his truth. Jesus said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Everyone who hears his words my words, and dismisses them, who does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Every magician, soothsayer, and Chaldean recognized that only a God has the truth. They would say to us today, you can present your opinions based on what you feel or what you think, what you want to believe, that doesn't make it the truth. Only a God can reveal that to you. Unfortunately, no God has dwelt with us and communicated that truth, so we have to give you our opinions. 
See, they have the first part right, but they got the second part wrong. God has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. He not only taught us the truth, he is the truth. He not only is the truth, but he proved he is the truth by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. You know, the Apostle Paul got it right. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. See, if Christ hasn't been raised, we don't have the truth. I mean, nobody else does either. We're just out without it. But, Paul continues, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. See, Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar the content of his dream to prove that he had the truth. God has given us Jesus Christ to prove that we have the truth. Let's build our lives on it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, revealing us, uh, yourself to us through the, the wonders of creation and the glory we see in creation. In your word, but in the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Thank you, O oh Lord, for these gifts. Amen.